What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Repunked. My name is Scott, coming to you live from Nashville, Tennessee, and I got another fantastic episode for you guys tonight. Uh, before we get too far into it, I'm just going to do a quick, 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 very quick call to action here just to show you how you can follow and support the show. Um, so as always, just uh, start off at Rebunk.news. That's the website. Um, <clears throat> you're going to find all the links to uh, follow and support the show. The social media is t.me forward slash rebunked news. I mean, I guess that's the telegram. Uh, probably the best place to stay up to date with the show. I'm in there just chatting with the people as much as I can throughout the day. Um, also, Twitter, Instagram are kind of the other spots where I'm where I'm hanging out. But telegram, definitely t.me forward slash rebunked news. And also, there's the t.me forward slash rebunked chat, which is the open chat for all you guys to hang out and chat amongst yourselves. Um so you'll see all the value for value donation options and uh, yeah, just make sure you're following on all podcast players and all that good stuff. Uh, real quick shout out to the t-shirt shop. Uh, Big frog t-shirts has been uh, absolutely crushing it over there. Um, of course we got the famous, are you threatening me? Beavis shirt, the Gadsden flag uh, for 16 bucks guys. You can't go wrong with that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <clears throat> let's see. I don't think there's a new, very many new designs since we last checked, since we last checked in, but we still have the Valentine's day special climate change is hot there you go folks you can like upset uh the progressives in your community with a nice climate change is hot shirt of course the classic fauci gave us all aids and fauci gave us all aids again shirt uh i've got some videos of people that they sent me those like yeah man i wore this out in public and had people throw stuff at me it's like it's hilarious i love hearing that stuff so there you go uh we got women's sizes uh in stock now uh by your request we got hats and beanies and all that good stuff. So it's rebunk.news forward slash shirts. Or if you go to the webpage, it's right there in the middle at the top with all the other affiliate links. Um, I did want to, and, and so, yeah, you know, so just check out the website. You'll see the affiliate links for uh, Richard Grove's autonomy course. And then of course, TRS heavy metal detox. You guys hear me talking about it, that stuff a lot, but I just want to invite you to go click on those and uh, take a look, see if it's something you could use in your life. And, uh, yeah, so the other thing I want to talk about real quick before we get too far into the actual article that Maddie wrote on TLAB Substack is we will be doing the next uh, subscriber roundtable tomorrow, and that's Saturday, 12 p.m. Eastern, Saturday the 25th at 12 p.m. Eastern. So I will be hosting the next TLAB Substack roundtable for all members. Uh, hop in, hang out with your friends. It's all about like uh, building community. It's like an intel exchange, and they're they're insane, man. There's some like really really good researchers that uh come in and share their knowledge and research like shout out to to all the people that come and join us there it's uh it's a lot of fun so tomorrow at noon and that's for uh, anybody that subscribes at any level like five bucks a month or more um there's also the the um the, the founding member tier and then that gives you access to the monthly q a with ryan himself but uh, i host these little round tables once a month actually inspired by tony and the crew over at grand theft world how they kind of formulate their uh, offering to uh, their subscribers as well. So, all right, guys. So, without further ado, let's bring Maddie in. So, without, uh, yeah. So, Maddie Bannon, author, journalist, deep dive researcher. I don't know. Like, what, what do you like to refer to yourself as these days? Are you really kind of making a name for yourself out there? Oh, hold on. Hold on. I think you're muted. All right. Oh, so that should work. 
There we go. Yeah. So what do you think? Yeah. Investigative journalist, deep dive researcher? I mean, I don't know. What, what... Yeah, researcher, okay. learner, perpetual learner. Perpetual learner. Cool. Yeah. That works. That works. That works. So, yeah. So you've been making the rounds this week. How's that been? That's been fun. I yeah. get to talk about the thing that I just spent the last six weeks of my life working on. So gotcha. <laughs> six weeks, huh? Really? So, yeah. so what was it that really sparked your interest in this topic to begin with? Um, how the whole FTX debacle looks like a Trojan horse for central bank digital currencies, mm. mostly because I thought that this whole thing was really a really big deal. And people were like, yeah, it's a really big deal. But then they were just like, eh, kind of got bored with it. Most of my friends that I talked to were not that interested in the, in the whole story, um, which usually, you know, I kind of take the contrarian position. Most times I'm a disagreeable person. So <laughs> because they weren't interested in it, I was like, I got, I got to look a little bit closer at this. That's um, interesting. Yeah. And then it turns out, you know, the guy, the guy uh, was into a certain kind of philosophy. So I was like, OK, well, that's something I understand studied philosophy for a little bit. Um, now when I looked at it, I was like, okay, well, this makes sense given what happened, um, what, what he was reading and thinking. Um, so. <laughs> no, that's awesome. You know, so that's interesting. So when I first came across this story, I too was like, eh, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a nothing burger or maybe it's something, but the part that stood out to me was like the, uh, just like the money laundering aspect of it. Like, it seems like it's the perfect Avenue. Like if I'm a, a person in a position here in the United States, maybe a political power or someone in political power. And I wanted to take money and I wanted to launder it and put it back in my bank account. Like what a great way to do that. Right. But then, then to funnel it through somebody who is already on our side, maybe uh, we have them, uh, you know, we have some blackmail on them. Like maybe we have them dead to rights that they're out there committing crimes right now. And so therefore they have to toe the line and do what we say and make sure our money returns to us or something like that. Right. So that was my mm -hmm. perspective of it. Did you look into that piece of it at all? Yeah. Well, uh, I, for a minute there, I was thinking that it seemed like a, like a modern day Iran Contra sort of mm, circular yeah. money flow. Um, I mean, and Richard Grove on Grand Theft World talked about that a lot. That's kind of what he focused on in his coverage of the event. Um, which I agreed. I mean, they did partner directly with the Ukraine government to uh, turn Bitcoin into fiat and send it over there. And I mean, he was sending money to them from his own coffers, apparently. So um, where was he getting where was he getting his money? I don't know if he was stealing it from people. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we'll ever actually find out where that money came from. And that's the other thing, too. It's, you know, it's cryptocurrency. So it's, it's very it's not a lot of regulation. Uh, which is fine, but that allows people to do kind of messed up things and then get away with it. And that's why, you know, whenever there's criminals uh, doing criminal things, uh, that causes people to want to regulate it. So that's, I, I mean, then that goes back to why I thought it was a Trojan horse is because, well, here's this guy and he did a lot of irresponsible things with a ton of money. So uh, that's a perfect excuse by the government to go and go in and regulate it. Um, yeah. But also, you know, it, the door was left open open for him to go and do and whatever he'd really like with his customers' money, apparently. Um, and my, some of that might have been to send it over to Ukraine just to support them. Sure. Yeah. And then exactly, too, where it's like, uh, it, again, like what you were saying, the contrarian aspect. It's like, OK, if everybody's saying this is a nothing burger, then I'm going to look into it. It's like kind of that reverse of that where it's like, okay, if, if this guy's friends with all the people that he's friends with, then I'm automatically like, okay, no, this guy's, 
bad news, you know, across the board. And uh, the other thing that really stood out to me was like, you know, so we have all this U.S. aid money just getting printed and sent over to Ukraine. Weren't they using his uh, his his uh, whatever you call it, his his crypto service to send that money over? I, I feel like I heard something about that, but it seems like to me, like if I was trying to. Okay, like let's say I'm Congress or whatever. I'm one of these crooked politicians. I'm printing all this money and I want to transfer it instead of like a wire transfer. Why don't we just upload it through the FTX and uh, send it over to Ukraine and then mm -hmm. cash in on all of the um, service fees and all that stuff, too? Like, wasn't is, I remember hearing something about that. Did you read anything about that going on? You know um, talking about? Yeah, like, as far as as far as I know, the only, the only connection I heard about uh, FTX in Ukraine was that FTX was converting bitcoin into dollars to send to ukraine so that they could buy war material mm. um that, that's as far as i heard about that um okay. but really it was um you know the F, um uh, sbf was sending a ton of money to democratic candidates and the okay. democratic candidates were sending taxpayer money over to ukraine and i believe that uh um Ukraine was using FTX as a using FTX to change their fiat into or change their Bitcoin into fiat uh, as far as the Bitcoin donation. So that's a, that's as far as I looked into that. Okay. Um, but if you if if you want to know more about that, you can go. I think it was like maybe episode one, maybe one ten to mm -hmm. somewhere between one ten to one fifteen of Grand Theft World. They went over that pretty extensively. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. And of course, before we went live here, I said, well, let's try not to talk about SBF so yeah. much. So, anyway, <laughs> so, so let's talk about, cause, cause this is really the cool thing about this, um, about this article. And, uh, you know, we talked about it on Grand Theft World the other night. Um, you know, and then I heard, I listened to most of your talk with Steve and post over at AM wake up, but, uh, you know, you do a really comprehensive job of not only describing, you know, kind of the background of the situation and just like, this is how it was done, like a 13 steps on how this was done. Um, but then it takes like a, you know, a shift over into the philosophical worldview that all of these people involved have. And I guess I should say, for those of you that are listening, that may not be familiar with what we're talking about. If you look in the episode description, there's a link to the last American Vagabond Substack article, uh, shakedowns. And how do you pronounce that? Shibboleths? Yeah. Shibboleths. Shibboleths. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's a Yiddish word. Okay, well, there you go. So shakedowns and shibboleths. Okay, so this is um, just a fantastic piece. Uh, like Maddie said, she worked on it for about six weeks. And we're very proud to, to, to put it out there. And so, yeah, so, uh, you know, there's so much to unpack out of this thing. And, um, you know, I'm just really want to commend you for your hard work and, and really putting it in a way that introduced these topics like these. A lot of these were new topics for me, you know, something that was like, you know, you know, maybe I, I saw from like a person who's looked at how these psychopaths kind of operate. And I'm like, Oh, now this puts it all into place. And now I understand kind of what their worldview is. It's like the inversion of like, you know, they're, they're all like, like philanthropy thing, right? It's like, Oh yeah, Bill Gates and all these guys. And they have all these philanthropic organizations when in fact, they're just like, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily the priority. That's necessarily the priority. So what no. what do you, what do you think is the best place to start when we're trying to unpack what we're talking about here? Maybe utilitarianism? Is that a good place to start? Yeah, I would say that's probably the easiest and people have probably heard of it before, you know, the yeah. the, the the elevator pitch is the right thing to do is the the best thing for the most people. Mm -hmm. The thing that's going to be to make the most people happy 
um, is the best thing to do or the, or a good thing to do. So, you know, yeah. the greatest good for the greatest number. That's the greatest good for the greatest number. Even if it means at the expense of the few, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the, that's usually how it goes. Um, they ask you, uh, the, they ask you to disregard, especially your own interests out of it, out of anything. Um, really the only way that you can think about what is going to serve you best. Uh, and, 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 you know, uh, oftentimes our actions do come with con costs, even for ourselves. Like you choose between one thing versus another. You, you the cost is that you don't do the other thing. Um, but the, you can only think about those situations when literally nobody else is affected. So, you, you know, if, if your action is going to affect somebody in some minute way, um, then you have to consider their interests, what, how much it might please or pain them, uh, and then act accordingly. Uh, you know, if they're in any way um, pained more than you would be pleased by one action, then you, you can't take it. I mean, that would just be morally inappropriate, according to utilitarianism. Interesting. And so then that kind of, I mean, a couple other philosophies that I know that kind of permeate out there is just like, like you said, okay, so brings to mind the idea of like, if it, if it wasn't me, it would be somebody else doing it. Right. So it's like, does that, does that fit into the utilitarian aspect at all? Do you think? Um, you mean doing a good action or a bad action? Sure. Well, okay. I guess it would be something that's questionable, right? Maybe. So it's like, you know, I've heard like George Soros say this, for example, like he's hmm. talking about how, like, you know, if it wasn't, if I wasn't the one out there doing this stuff, like in the financial markets with these questionable acts, mm. I guess it could be like kind of perceived as like, okay, so we're out there doing all this good in the world and maybe we're hurting these people over here. But if it wasn't us doing it, it'd be somewhere else. It'd be someone else doing it. Does that, does that factor yeah. in at all? Do you think? I don't know. Different? That, yeah. that kind of seems like a, an excuse based on the inevitability of some sort of act. Um, yeah that's not really a great justification for acting in any way. No, it definitely um, isn't. It definitely <laughs> isn't. I mean, that, that, that falls in the psychopath category mm -hmm. and people refer to that a lot of times when they're critiquing or criticizing George Soros for his actions, because that's, you know, something that he, he says, you know, you know something know. is wrong, but you're choosing mm -hmm. to do it anyway, because it's, it's like that same reason that we are engaged in an artificial intelligence arms race and same yeah. with biological warfare is because, Oh, because Russia's doing it. That's uh, it. If we don't do it, then China's gonna do it. So, exactly, uh, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, yeah. it might be the case in perhaps like a capitalist free market. You know, if you don't mm -hmm. make this innovative product, somebody might, somebody else might, um, and then you lose out on that competitive edge. But that's the only place I could see it actually making sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. I was just seeing how if that fit into the confines of like utilitarianism, and I don't know, it was just in my notes there, so I was just kind of running it by it. But the one thing that does definitely check out in the idea of utilitarianism is the idea of ends justify the means. I mean, this is like one of the, uh, what is it? The, um, rules for radicals, right? It's like one of their, one of their, uh, one of the ideologies that they hold on to, or it's like, okay, yes, we are sacrificing for the greater good. And if blood is shed in the name of, you know, this desired outcome, then that's fine. That's fine. You know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. scary, scary stuff. And, and it's like, I mean, I don't know though. It's and it's not, tough. it's not any ends, you know, yes, they're not yes. in, interested in just any ends. They're purportedly interested in happiness, which happiness is net pleasure over pain. 
but what do you define as pleasure? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. See, is it so just many... sensation or is it uh, the satisfaction of feeling uh, full or having accomplished something or um, is it watching your friend succeed? Is that pleasure? You know, there's many, there's a multitude of different kinds of pleasures one can experience in life. Um, but they don't seem to have, you have to assign weights and units of measurement and, and values to each one of these things. Um, so, and how they do that, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got somebody in the comments Complicated saying, math. I got someone saying it's the Death Star mic again. Yay. I don't know if that means. I'm very oh, sensitive. Yeah, it's my... Oh, it's yours. Okay. Oh, the Death yep. Star mic. I, okay, that makes <laughs> yeah. sense. That makes sense. Okay. Now, I just have to say, like, my listeners know I'm very sensitive about my audio issues because i've had a couple audio issues lately and i get so bent out of shape and it ruins my week when i finish an episode <laughs> and the audio is shit so i'm very very sensitive about my audio issues they're good andy so thank you okay so <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes yes the, the death star mic is badass dude yeah. so anyway um so so uh bring us back to the beginning it's like so where did this idea of like utilitarianism start like where did mm -hmm. this where did this begin yeah, it's actually uh, Jeremy Bentham um, in at you know in an area near Oxford where actually Will McCaskill and the effective altruists uh, live. So, <laughs> um, yeah, nearly you know around two hundred years ago, um, contemporary of John Stuart Mill is pretty prolific. Um, so uh, that that was like well after the French Revolution was over. Um, so in a period of you know a little bit of um, uh, pessimism, I suppose, pessimism about the nature of humanity, um, sort of the Hobbes and Rousseau dialectic was happening. What is man good? Is man bad? Um, so what I feel like utilitarianism does is it takes humanity out of the picture. You know, it takes the tricky parts of being human, which are the subjectivity of, of human values, um, uh, you know, the differences that people have that aren't really ex explicable um, gets rid of those. And then we can just work with what we can observe. You know, it's Francis Bacon was a, a preeminent philosopher, a political statesman, um, but he really emphasized the importance of science um, and using science to better humanity and society. So this was the kind of milieu that these guys were existing in at the time. Um, so I think that Jeremy Bentham was definitely influenced by that. Um, and you see that in his philosophy. I mean, he, he claims that this came to him in a dream. Um, <laughs> so he thought it was kind of, uh, if not divine inspiration, then certainly like, um, sort of a mystical event um, for him. But yeah, take yeah. basically is take the, the tricky parts of being human out of it. And, you know, oftentimes those are the best parts of being alive is the very, the very uh, nuanced and very, um, uh, what's that word? Uh, oh, well, it's just those like little, little traits, little differences that each person has that makes you who you are um, to get rid of those so that things can be a little bit more simple because, you know, our world is so very chaotic and very complex and um, it's hard to answer questions about what's good behavior and what's bad behavior if things are, aren't as easily understood and not as black and white as pain and pleasure. 
Yeah, definitely. So, so around this time when this kind of philosophy and the, these ideas were being brought about, was there any opposition to it back then? Like, it seems like, uh, once you start picking it apart, it seems like you could just critique it and, and assail it from several different ways to the point where it's like, maybe we should have just scrapped this, but how did it continue to persist? Was there opposition no, to it or not really not? Um, uh, I mean, not at least not contemporaneously. Uh, not really a lot of harsh criticism because people um, it was pretty secular, uh, even though Jeremy Bentham used the justification of God commands us to to be happy as a, the basis for his philosophy. Um, again, it was around the time when science was becoming sort of the pet like institutional um, reason for, for most actions and most, uh, inquiries. So, um, uh, not a lot of, not a lot of opposition. I think that people widely agreed that happiness was very important. So it's kind of like what, it's kind of the response that you see today about effective altruism, um, that people mm -hmm. just largely say when they hear happiness, they just nod their heads and go, yeah, 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 that sounds great. Um, without really thinking things, to their absurdities, mm -hmm. um, which it definitely does get absurd at times. Um, yes. but eventually it did meet, it did meet with some heavy criticism, especially with, um, you know, Bernard Williams and, uh, let's see. Yeah. Uh, most, just most virtue ethicists, you know, people who think that there's actually something that is called goodness. Um, and that has to do with, you know, your character and what it is to be essentially human. Um, those, those types were like, had always, uh, rejected moral relativ relativism. Um, so yeah, not a lot of opposition at yeah. first, uh, and not any notable way. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, so this, this kind of visualization, I pulled up the source there. It's the integral calculus. Is that just their attempt to kind of quantify and create some sort of like one plus one equals two formula for happiness mm -hmm. and goodness yeah, the meaning of life? Yeah. Meaning yeah. that's the, that's the utilitarian's meaning of life is, um, happiness. So, you know, that's if you are maximally happy, you've lived a maximally good life. So everybody ought to strive to be as happy as possible, um, which I'm John Stuart Mill. Interestingly, he was the biggest proponent. It was a prodigy of sorts. He wrote uh, his inductive and deductive logic books. Uh, he learned nine languages. He wrote a ton of philosophy books. Um, all the books there behind me, the, the green ones, purple ones, and the blue one there before mm. he was 23. So wow. Um, yeah, very prolific. And he was the biggest proponent of utilitarian utilitarianism. He wrote a book called on utilitarianism. Um, and he, at the end of his life actually took a turn and was like, you know what, actually, now that I've thought about it, uh, it doesn't seem like you can achieve happiness by pursuing it as its own end. So by making the meaning of life, the pursuit of happiness, you're actually destroying your, the possibility of achieving happiness. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's like, just as long, just as long as you, uh, you know, happiness is still great is still the end of life. Like it is still what we ought, ought to be striving for. Uh, but as long as you don't make it the ultimate end, as long as you make your ultimate end, just literally anything else, um, then you'll be able to achieve happiness because it, it, it cannot be achieved by making it the direct end.
So I thought yeah. that was very interesting. He actually was probably the biggest uh, objector to the standards of utilitarianism. Cool. You know, isn't that true in life? It's like we basically what we focus our attention on something, and like that thing just seems absolutely unattainable. Ain't uh, absolutely unattainable. And the second we take our focus or attention off of it, it happened to me the other night. Okay, this happened, and this happened so many a times in my life, to where I just like I just kind of recognize it as a phenomenon. It's like okay, I couldn't find my earbuds. I was like right in the middle of a podcast, and then like I was doing a bunch of other things, and then like I disconnected, sat down my headphones somewhere, and I'm like God, and I looked all over for them, and then. I realized, ah, the second I stop looking for them, they'll show up. I just know I will. So I'm like, okay, I'm not even going to worry about it. And I turned around. They were right there on the shelf next to me. I was like, ah, yep. right there. It was like the yep. second I said, I'm going to stop worrying about time. it. <laughs> Every <laughs> time. It was a trick. <laughs> so that that is my opposition to utilitarianism right there, folks. So, okay. So let's put a pin in utilitarianism. Now, let's, that, so we're, we're driving towards the idea of effective altruism, you know, mm -hmm. which is kind of a newer, newer phenomenon, newer concept but it's built on the backs of all these things we're talking about. So, mm -hmm. so altruism. Now what, let's tell Let's talk a little bit about that. What is the roots of the idea of altruism then? Um, basically it's just living for others. Other it's other peopleism. Altri is the French word for other people and comp designed the word to be directly opposed to egoism. So he just called it altruism. Um, which just as translates to other peopleism. So, um, he, designed his ethical framework while he was pursuing um, a, a framework for humanity. How, how can humanity progress past metaphysical dogma as he, as he claimed, you know, again, it's, it's this, this, the common theme throughout all of these is that science is what's going to do it. Um, it's how humans move past um, where we are at now, which is like war and hate and, and all the bad things. That's how we get to all the good things, which is utopia, you know, um, and comp, um, had a vision of a, of a positivist utopia, um, where positivism is, uh, doesn't all those things concerning reality and the universe and the human experience. None of those things matter unless they can be measured and observed and directly evidenced and then put and represented in uh, mathematical and logical formula. Um, if that cannot be done, then we just should ignore them. They're useless. So obviously things like, um, um, you know, personal pursuits or interests, those cannot be represented. Um, and really he said that there is, there is no individual. The, the only real thing out there is the collective. So when he asks you, um, in altruism to dis dis disregard your interests, disregard your um, love for your family or your friends or um, your passions. Um, he's really not asking you to do anything uh, because those things don't really exist because you're not a real person. You're just an individual. And what the real thing is, what we all ought to be concerned with is the collective uh, or society. You know, he uses both, both uh, terms interchangeably. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So very interesting. Now it's, it's, it's cool here how like in the article itself, you kind of highlight both, you know, <clears throat> you kind of show showcase what the philosophy is and then you showcase the objections to like the, both of the objections to uh, utilitarianism and the objections to altruism. So what would you say are some of the people who would, what's the counter argument to this idea of altruism, the way it was being presented back then? Sure. Um, well, it seems to elevate the least, the least um, 
noble human traits. So the traits of being in need or the traits of lacking or the traits of, um, you know, uh, indolence or laziness, uh, most of all. So the less that you have, the more you are in need, the less, the less value you are or that you have, uh, the more that you're owed by everybody else, the more that you are rewarded, the more that you receive. Um, and the more means you do have, the more value you have, the more prosperity and health and, and uh, things that you do have or you're able to attain for yourself, the, most you're, the more you're punished, um, the most you have taken away from you. So it seems to reward those things that we would rather not see in society and to punish those things that, we, that society actually functions on. So the value system is totally inverse from what is commonsensical. Um, and all for the sake of the benefit of something that, in my opinion, doesn't actually exist, which is the collective. Um, there's not something out in the world that I can point at and say, that's that right there is the collective. And I can't draw a line around it. I can't define it. If you just define it as all people that occupy one space, well, there's certainly, you know, conflict and difference there. So mm -hmm. it's difficult to draw that line. Um, but Wow. That is amazing. Well, so, I mean, gosh, we could do a whole episode on that. Like that's, that's amazing right there. Uh, the idea that, um, I mean, that's basically encapsulates all of the problems we have in our society right now, the whole victimhood mentality. It's like the victimhood Olympics, like who can be the biggest victim class and you get, yes, you get all these rights and privileges and you get to have, oh, you know what I mean? It's like, who could be the biggest victim and have yeah, the biggest, well, I mean, yeah. it starts all the way back and, yeah. you know, probably before uh, LBJ, but at least with, you know, welfare and uh, rewarding people for not being, not having a, a nuclear family or, you know, two, a two parent household and, you know, being, being the victims of abuse, like, uh, or, or abandonment, you know? Uh, so, and what, did, what happened there? I mean, there's, there's fewer two parent households in the black community than there were before. So, mm -hmm. and that's, that's really bad. That's not good. And the, the system still exists today. And it just, it touches every single kind of family out there who's, uh, you know, capable of receiving money from the government for only having one parent in the household. Yeah. Um, so it definitely has negative consequences, but it doesn't still that sort of victim mindset where the least capable you, the, the less capable you are, the better off you'll be because big daddy government's going to take care of you. Um, mm -hmm. But what happens is, you know, you kind of have to, you kind of have to go along with what they say. You have to follow the rules and do what they say so that you can receive the check. Um, and people will do that. It makes you very compliant. It makes you easy to uh, persuade to do certain things, you know, like go get Go get the jabby jab if you want to mm -hmm. keep your welfare checks coming in. Or I mean, that's all you have at that point. If you spent your whole life being a victim and receiving payments for that, um, then you don't really have too many options. But whenever no. you whenever you are a person of means and a person of value, and it doesn't matter what you do, um, people will value that value you for that. So you don't really have to listen to anybody. Um, mm -hmm. You can do whatever you think is, is best and right. Yeah, exactly. And it's just priming the pump and setting the stage for the central bank digital currency, right? Make a class of dependent people. And then once that switch gets flipped, it's like, okay, there you go. And so, you know, that's why we're, you know, um, I would say all the people in the autonomy community, that's what it's all about. It's like building up resistance to that and, and 
cutting the ties of all the leverage they could potentially have on us in the future and then just becoming as autonomous as possible right and i do want to get into autonomy a little bit at some point tonight here but but let's keep let's keep going here so uh so now let's get to these guys so tell us about who are these guys look at these guys (laughs) (laughs) they're a bunch of freaking philosophy nerds (laughs) um yeah on the left is toby ord he's a philosopher he's a he's an oxford trained philosopher from uh, australia right is will mccaskill um toby ord's a little bit older than mccaskill uh, probably like seven to nine years, but they both were trained at Oxford um, in philosophy. And uh, they both think that uh, to be a good person, you ought to, especially if you live in an affluent society, you ought to give, you know, the vast, well, the majority of your income away, everything above basic means um, to charities, because your money, if it's sitting in your bank account or if it's being used to, I don't know, take an autonomy course <laughs> rather than, you know, get, go and save kids from malaria, then you know, you're literally killing people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So that kind of brings us to this guy here, right? So tell us about Peter Singer and what he's all about. This is, this is like almost my favorite part of this whole article. This guy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I heard, I heard, uh, I heard McCaskill and, and Toby Orr both say, uh, well, I was I was so inspired after reading Peter Singer's fa- Famine, Affluence, and Morality. I was like, oh, man, I remember reading that in Philosophy 101, like back, I don't know, seven, eight years ago now. Um, and I remember my reaction to it then. I was like, this is absurd. Uh, so Peter Singer's a moral, like a, a philosopher, ethicist, uh, also from Australia. He's been around for a long time. Um, he's most known for famine, affluence, and morality. And um, that was a paper that he published in 1972, um, which the basic thrust was uh, there are, you know, catastrophes that cause people to be, uh, you know, to die, uh, like from earthquakes. Um, and he's, uh, and they, they go to camps. And in these camps, you know, they're dying of hunger because there's not enough support for them. Um, there's not enough foreign aid that's going to the governments and the governments don't have enough money to support them. And they're really just, they're really just biding their time until they wait. And he wanted to come up with a reason or come up with a good argument for why people ought to give their money away um, rather than wait for the government to give the, the another government uh, foreign aid to help their people. Um, so what he did was, he came up with this principle, which is the principle of sacrifice, which is, um, you know, if there's, if there's, if we have the power to prevent something bad from happening, um, or, or relieve the suffering of something bad, some, the suffering that w- that's happening, um, as a result of something bad, like an earthquake, um, then we ought to, unless we're, we will, uh, incur a cost of something morally comparable like um, starving ourselves or killing ourselves or something like that. And that's very extreme because um, there are people suffering all the time everywhere. And if there's one person suffering somewhere, um, then you have the moral responsibility to do that, to give your money and your time and your labor away until all of the suffering is gone. And it seems like it's a never-ending cycle because you stop suffering here, then suffering pops up over there. 
you know, the, nature's never going to stop uh, giving us tornadoes or, you yeah. know, tsunamis or earthquakes or, you know, just mis- disasters like the derailment in Ohio. It's just going to keep happening. That's what life is. Life is a series of catastrophic, catastrophic errors um, and nature is cruel. Um but it's also, you know, it's, it's pleasant in times. And, um, those are, those are satisfactory taken and passing. So anyway, um, in that, in that scenario, uh, you're basically just going to live barely above basic means for survival, uh, until, well, until you die, you don't have the right to keep anything above that as your own, because if you do, then you're culpable for the pain and suffering and possibly death of that person that's suffering. That's his yeah. whole shtick. And people ate it up. Wow. I mean, I can imagine. I can imagine. So it's like if I'm doing, oh, so we got Katie with the chat th- or the super chat. Thank you so much, Katie. Appreciate that. And then we got Legit Bat Podcast in the house. Have you ever heard of Le- Legit Bat Podcast? Mm-hmm. No. That. Okay. So those are my buddies. They're out in Northern California. They're freaking awesome. Legit Bat. You guys, if you, if you nice. I don't know if you're accepting interview requests, Maddie, but they're, they're hilarious. They're fun. They definitely oh, go down sure, the rabbit yeah. hole with you, oh, but yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, and then Ryan Graham, that's my t-shirt guy. Oh, he's got a great show called the independent review. You guys go check that oh, out. Oh, cool. So yeah. I, I think I've heard of that. Yeah. It's on uh, YouTube. It's a brand new show, but what he does is he takes like all these clips from a lot of these people's shows and he has like an animated host. He does like animations and stuff. So like, oh, it's very sweet. clever. It's very yeah. clever. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, anyway, so shout out to the chat. You guys are awesome. Um, yeah. So, so the singer guys, like basically just basically I'm personally responsible for any suffering out there in the world. And if I'm living, if I'm doing anything, anything in my life, like if I'm sitting here playing my guitar, uh, when I should be out helping like the people down the street, then that is like, mm-hmm. I am, I am like, that's like punishable. Like I'm like a horrible person for that. This is like some, yeah. uh, this is like some dystopian novel stuff. Are you aware of any like literature that like kind of played this scenario out? Mm-hmm. That's that, that'd be Ew, an interesting story like, where they actually took, well, yeah, I mean, that'd be a good little short story, right? Take a break from all this deep dive research, right? Like a short story about <laughs> like, like a character who, um, you know, living in a world where you're actually held accountable for if you are, if you have any degree above what you're absolutely and if the guy next to you is suffering, right? Then then you there's some sort of punishment involved. That'd be very interesting. Yeah. To actually put these into these thought experiments into action. Right? Yeah. So, okay, singer, here's what your world actually would look like here. Yeah, <laughs> and and just to say too, this is ignoring the fact that he thinks that this applies to animals as well. But just for simplicity's oh, yeah. sake, it is for for just for humans uh, in this scenario, because that has a whole that's another whole world. Um, you know, he thinks that people People and animals suffer in the same way, and for that reason, their suffering ought to be considered just as equally. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, totally. He definitely, he thinks that you definitely should not eat any any sort of animal products whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's very interesting too. So, all right. So as we're moving along here, like this, this um, as we know, like a lot of these people's ideologies, philosophies. Um, lead inevitably to the wonderful world of eugenics, right? <laughs> it's just like, it's almost unavoidable. Like whenever mm-hmm. you start tapping into the worldviews of these psychos, like you automatically go to uh, eugenics. And so where, where's the overlap with eugenics here? Yeah, I mean, that's the dangerous part of moral relativism is then you can go about saying that there are some lives that aren't worthy to be lived. And 
be able to stake, you know, uh, plant your flag on that hill. <laughs> um, really, with no nobody can really push back on that um, because he ha he does away with the sanctity of human life. Human life is not important just because it's human. You know, there's nothing special about humanity um, that makes us different from animals, other than the fact that we have, you know, we're bipedal, um, we can talk. And we can think about stuff. So mm -hmm. that that doesn't make us any uh, any uh, special. So um, yeah, as far as the eugenics aspect, um, he ha was very concerned with overpopulation. Um, so obviously, he thinks that because there's such a there are limited resources, you know, there are limits to growth. Um, we ought to make sure that our the people that are on Earth are the best ones. Um, and those ones aren't, are certainly not disabled people who will be suffering for their, their life, you know, and this again, um, this again is problematic because where do you draw the line? Like, what is a life not worthy to be lived? Yeah. I, I haven't heard him make a good argument for that. Um, I'm sure he has something very particular in mind, um, like a certain amount of pain or a certain, or, uh, yeah, certain disabilities or certain things that you can't do. Uh, a certain list of things that make your life not worthy to be lived, but um, that's not up to you. you. I mean, he'll give you the option in, in adult life to go and kill yourself. He thinks that's that's just a something that we ought to have access to as a um, as a modern culture. Um, that you know, adult euthanasia euthanasia is is great. He loves that. Um, but also, if you are a parent of um, a, an infant. And you can tell somehow that its life is going to be a net loss for itself, uh, meaning that it will suffer, you know, horrible, tremendous pain of some kind, um, then you should be able to kill it. I mean, even up until a month of its life. It's, it's just interesting because there are many people out there who were born. Um, a great example is the very, very famous philosopher Voltaire. He wrote Candide. Um, when he was born, the nurse said, this, ba this baby's not going to live to be six weeks. He lived to be 84. And he also mm -hmm. lived, he, yes, he, ex he experienced excruciating pain for a lot of his life, but he lived a great life anyway. And he, yeah. he's a very remarkable person that has contributed a lot to a lot of people's lives. And I'm very happy that they didn't just kill him there. Uh, but imagine how many else how many other people that might happen to if they just judge by how they come out um, totally. on the day of their birth and then they project 80, 90 years into the future and say, yeah, this life's not worth living. Yep. How same, same thing with, yeah, my, uh, my podcasting partner, business partner, Courtney Turner, the Courtney Turner podcast. Oh, I think you're, you're going her show next week. Right. I think she was saying mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. In, a, in a few weeks. Yeah. Courtney Turner. Yeah. A few weeks. So, um, sure. That's basically her story too. You know, she was born with mm -hmm. a few, like, you know, uh, birth, uh, complications, you know, and, uh, the doctors, they were doing some tests while she was still in her mother's womb. And they like, the doctor put the decimal point in the wrong place on this one test and had the decimal point mm -hmm. been in like one, you know, one slot over and they would have suggested ending life. And so it's like, oh my gosh, like, it's so crazy. You know what I mean? Like that one decimal yep. point. So, but, uh, but that makes sense. And so, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but you know, I, I, I know what you're saying. So mm -hmm. the other thing too, is that they're trying to, when we're trying to take into consideration the greater good, this is the thing that just blows my mind. Now is this what the idea of like the future human? So we're trying to take into consideration, you know, when we're looking at the greater good, 
obviously there's way more future humans than there are current. I mean, mm -hmm. if we're going into the future, there's trillions of humans that were human lives that we're talking about. Right. But whereas right now there's only 8 billion lives, allegedly, very much mm -hmm. allegedly. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but uh, so is that, is that um, effective altruism? Is that altruism? Like where does that piece come from? Um, that's Peter Singer. So Peter, Peter Singer, Singer okay. asks you to, well, in a, in a, it's it's a uh, one step further than Singer. So Singer asks you to uh, remove your bias for the people who exist near you or or in share your region or your country or your state or your family or whatever. All of that they should all be equal to you. Um, so no matter where the person is that's suffering, that should not matter. You should still help uh, because of the internet, right? Because of globalism, um, those barriers to our assisting people near to us uh, have been taken down or, or to assisting people far away from us. Um, we only were able to, you know, reasonably help people near us in the past because of uh, limitations. Um, but now because of the internet and globalism, well, that excuse doesn't work anymore, according to Singer. Um, and then as far as long-termism, which is literally uh, what effective altruism does is ask you to disregard not only you know, your family and the people who live in your neighborhood and in your city and your uh, your state or your country um, or even on your your hemisphere, um, you ought to consider the interests of people who do not even exist yet. All the people in, in the future who aren't even guaranteed to exist um, or to be good people <laughs> that you should be interested in saving um, to consider their interests as equal to your own. Um, so, you know, they're, uh, <laughs> they, they want to, their whole philosophy, as far as long-termism goes, is to um, increase the chances that humans will have uh, like a long lifespan as a species and uh, increase the chances for human flourishing in the future, mm. which I mean, given the, um, given the fact that they're, they think that the main problems posed to humanity right now are catastrophic, like ending world scenarios. You know, uh, the, the planet is going to, uh, the climate is going to change so much that it will be an uninhabitable or there will be some crazy super virus um, either. And this is where I give them charity. They were very concerned about um, gain of function research uh, and bio warfare, but they're convinced that the, uh, some sort of crazy super bug is going to wipe everybody out or an unfriendly AI is going to do it. Um, so they're, they're like, okay, well, uh, the chances for humans existing in the future is, is decreasing and decreasing and decreasing. Um, so we ought to think of those people who may not exist yet and actually have no, you know, they're, they're not real. They don't mm -hmm. have any interests. They, they can't have interests because they don't exist. Um, yeah. But you ought to consider their interests as yeah. uh, as equal to your own. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Totally. Totally. I mean, you know, it's, it, I mean, it is crazy in the sense that, like, you know, on a on a fundamental, like, personal level, like, we do care about, like, I want to try to create a life that maybe if I have kids someday, like, I can pass that life on to them. It's like we do have forward thinking, future thinking. I, mm -hmm. ideas built in us. And a lot of these things like, yes, my life actually centers very much around like being very altruistic to other people on a personal level. You know, I'm really involved in like the recovery community. You know what I mean? Like I help mm -hmm. put on events for people that are recovering from drug and alcohol addiction. You know, it's like giving back is a big part of my life, but it's like it, all of these ideas that they're taking and flipping 
you know, these are very important basic human concepts, but they just get so bastardized and so taken out of proportion. And like you said, takes the human element out of it. For the well, I'll say purpose. this, Scott, um, yeah. you know, in, in describing that behavior of yours, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's a good thing. It's something that we ought to con- consider, uh, and encourage, mm-hmm. um, consider as good, but that's, it's really not altruism mm. because unless you think that you're doing some duty of your own, that, you know, some sort of cost would be incurred to you if you didn't do it, um, like you would suffer, you know, a fee or uh, some punishment if you didn't do it, either here or or in some afterlife or whatever, um, then it's not altruism because altruism is duty-based. So it's not a good thing to fulfill your duty. You're literally just, you're you're paying your rent, basically. Um, And if paying your rent isn't congratulated in in any, in any society here, you know, you don't, you don't, um, you don't, get congratulated for stopping when there's a pedestrian in the crosswalk, right? Because no. that's just the way that things work. So that's yeah. what altruism is. That's not goodness. That is just you doing your duty. There's only doing your duty and then being bad in altruism. So things gotcha. like kindness and, and charity and generosity, benevolence, empathy, compassion, those things don't exist in an altruistic world because those things are doing the kind things and, um, uh, and generous things, you know, giving money to people if they ask you for it and you think it's a good, it, there's a good reason to give that to them or and it will be beneficial and it will cost you, but you're doing it anyway um, out of, you know, that's what they say, out of the kindness of your heart. Um, there's no duty. You're not obligated to give that. So if you don't do it, then there's no, there's no um, punishment you're perhaps going to incur. You know, there's no reason why you, there's not necessarily any reason why you should why you would um other than other than that you're a good and kind person and that's, consider it that makes wow yeah that's that I, I never thought of it that way so like that makes sense so it's not altruistic guys not being altruistic we're just doing but you know there is a duty there's a sense of duty to it but i get what you're saying like in their worldview there's only being bad or fulfilling your duty that's it like that's that's mm-hmm. that makes sense that makes perfect sense but uh in a lot of ways i feel like that what, what i do is very much like because these are things that people did for me and when I was just hmm. getting clean many years ago, and now mm-hmm. I'm, and now I let it's like my duty then pass it on. Plus, being involved in that, it like keeps me on the straight and narrow. So I, I see it as my as a duty, basically, It's like hmm. my obligation, you know, mm-hmm. like sponsoring guys and stuff like that. So, okay. um, yeah, yeah, but 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 I'm not an altruist, so therefore I can still consider it doing it out of the goodness of my heart. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. So, um. All right. So bringing this all together here. So the idea of effective altruism and the way that these people utilize this to justify their behavior. Um, you know, again, another really standout part of this article is the the description of these, this, um, debate that McCaskill had. Um, I'm trying to find it here. Uh, what was the guy's name that they were? Tell us about this debate. You know what I'm talking Giles about. Giles Frazier. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Tell us about the debate uh, because this, because, yeah. and really just, just use it as a way to just basically, <laughs> tie in what this effective altruism is and then this is what this is what these people mm-hmm. operate like these are like the big tech people these are like the the all the silicon valley people probably like you know a lot of fortune 500 companies all the esg black rock probably a lot of these politicians like this is their guiding worldview so explain mm-hmm. the debate and this kind of helps illuminate what this whole ideology is sure so um Will, Will McCaskill, uh, the founder of the Center of Effective Altruism, 80,000 hours and giving what we can, 
uh, is debating a another guy who really likes him. He's not really an adversarial debater. But anyway, they're on a stage um, in England, and they're debating uh, – well, let's see. Yeah, so the guy on the right is Giles Fraser. Fraser he's the bald guy. Um, he poses he, – he says, listen, I really, really like effective altruism. I think that you're great. I think that you're a saint, and I really don't want to argue against you. But here's what gets me. Um, Effective altruists, uh, when when posed with the scenario of you can save either one thing or another in a burning building, okay, um, effective altruists uh, will do something very weird and very counterintuitive and seemingly very bad. Um, so he says, well, let's just say that there's a child in a room that's burning to death. There's a Picasso in a room that's burning as well. Um what would you do? Would you save the child or the Picasso? Because what I think effective altruists would do is they'd save the Picasso because that they, they'd make the argument that you can save the Picasso, go and sell it, make a million dollars, and then use the million dollars to give to some charity, ostensibly saving a thousand lives. Um, and that seems weird because mm -hmm. you're, you're condemning a person that's literally burning to death to die. Um, for the sake of making some some more money so that you can give more money away. Uh, and and Will says, yep, actually, that's what I would do. <laughs> wow. So so there you go. I mean, that just sums it up right there. So like literally it's this again, just this this hypothetical future situation um, being taken into consideration over like literally the life of a child right there. And so, you know, there's some immediate conflicts that you could throw back in his face to, to question that. You know what I mean? Like, like you, you mentioned in the article, it's like, yeah, well, what if it was your kid? Right. Mm -hmm. Or what, what if the kid grew up to be the next Picasso and he, he painted 50 of those paintings mm -hmm. and made that, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's so easy to disassemble yep. these people's arguments. Like, honestly, this is what you know? happens when you break human experience down into, into, you know, positivist, uh, positively evidential, uh, notions like, money dollars the, the value of life you know what is the value of life um how much is one life worth which they say is about four thousand dollars by the way what? you can save you can save a, a life with four thousand dollars that's all you need um, oh i thought you meant each person's life is worth four thousand dollars <laughs> uh, well no actually the ceo of um the FTX foundation, his name is Nick Beckstead. He was, he's a huge effective altruist. He's, he made the argument that a life in a rich country is worth more than a life in a poor country because the person in the rich country can make more money um, and they can make more money and then they can give it away and save a bunch of people. So yeah, this is just a weird sort of um, uh, co uh, counter commonsensical places that this effective altruism takes people. And it's really because you're breaking it's reductionist materialism. You're breaking the world and the universe down into the smallest, the smallest observable parts, and then using those to build some sort of ethical framework. Well, when you do that, because um, we're never going to get to the essence of things by doing that, you know, we are, we are limited in ways. Uh, we're certainly always going to leave things out and there's certain aspects of the world that just aren't measurable. Um, which is, I mean, people argue about that, but, um, in my opinion, there's, there's certain things that you just cannot, um, measure that are incommensurate and, and perhaps infinite or eternal. Um, you can't capture those yes. uh, and, and human values are certainly one of those. Um, so when you try to do that, you get all these perverse sort of inverse, uh, 
um, outcomes that that lead to people saying that it is good to let a child burn alive in a burning building <laughs> to save a painting. Yeah, exactly. When you put it like that, it's like it's it's insane. And plus, like the 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 criteria and the scale by which they're they're judging all this stuff, it's like their system of money, the system of money that's just artificial and fictitious to begin with. Mm -hmm. It's like these Babylonian magic squares that they're using to guide their entire worldview. And yes, there is power in it. And yes, there is, you know, obviously money has power in it, but it's like that's not what it means to be a human. You know, we're so far removed from our humanity that this is like, you know, it's just it's very dark. It's very, mm -hmm. very, very dark. Um, yeah. You So, man, that I mean, that sums it up right there, you know. And so then, therefore, you know, the article then goes on to talk about how, you know, SBF then, you know, this is how he justified his financial crimes by saying like, mm -hmm. okay, I can do the most good by, you know, yes, and maybe I'm cutting some corners and cutting like ex using other people's gambling with other people's money. And I'm doing all these crimes basically, but it's for the greater good. It's for the greater good. So, but if I don't, the world's going to end. Yes, exactly. But, but <laughs> he, he we, you know, it's clear that he was driven by other motives, driven by like this idea to be this, the super elite class and have all these parties and stuff. So we, we know you're jiggies up SBF. You're you get out of here. Like you're not, you're not fooling anybody. So mm -hmm. anyway, so, so, so it's all right. always, it's always, and always will be about power and control. Yeah. People want power and control over themselves. First of all, if they can't get it, they want power and control over other people. Mm. They want con control over the trajectory of the human race. I mean, that's all it is. That's, that's eugenics. That's the WEF. That's, that's, yeah. that's even government. I mean, that's everyone. Um, yep. and uh, yeah. And, <laughs> um, there's very little room there for self-development or just, you know, working on yourself, being the best person that you can be, which is probably, yep. that's really the thing that you have the most control over is yourself. Um, yes. and you see people like apparently, you know, SBF and, <laughs> uh, the Klaus Schwab types and Bill Gates, which is, you know, ostensibly enough effective altruists. And so is Elon Musk and all of those guys. Yeah, um, they, they have seem to have a uh, very weird, um, desires that they can't get a handle on. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So therefore so, they're just going to try to control the destiny of mankind. Right. That's just, that's it. Yeah. yeah that, sure. Yep. Yep. Yep, exactly. Because they think, and and this is what Will McCaskill said too. He said, "If everybody's like me, then the world would be great. Nobody yeah. would be suffering. Everybody's problems would be fixed." Yeah. And Bill Gates thought, thinks the same thing. Um, you know, Elon Musk thinks the same thing. SBF thinks the same thing. These guys are just, you know, it's like very narcissistic, sociopathic behavior. They have absolutely no appreciation for what actual diversity is which in my opinion is a good thing is why you shouldn't mandate everybody to receive some sort of um medical intervention because there ought to be a, a diverse reaction to the to the pathogen um because we don't really you know the, the more there's strength in in diversity and that's always been the case it's how e eco uh, ecology works that's how a lot of things work uh, but they have no appreciation for that uh, they yeah. prefer that everybody everybody be the same and everybody be measurable uh, so that they can, they're more easily controlled. And it just totally. drives me insane. Very well said. Very well said. So I got, I got a few things here for you, Maddie, still. So mm -hmm. uh, Chris in the chat says, would you be willing to debate McCaskill yourself? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yes. Let's yeah. see if we can set that up, dude. That, that might be kind of fun. Who knows? Uh, let's reach out to his camp. And we could facilitate an interview right here, or debate right here in uh, Rebunk News, right? So there you fun. go. That would be awesome. That'd be le legendary. So mm -hmm. I would love, dude, I think that would be one of the greatest things. We'd pretty much break the internet with that. So, 
So, all right, you guys. So I want, I want to encourage all you guys to go check it out. The articles at the TL, the last American vagabond Substack, TLA vagabond.substack.com, you know, consider becoming a subscriber over there because then that actually helps us uh, bring on contributors like Maddie. You know what I mean? Like, like Maddie put in six weeks worth of work and she deserves like, you know, like if this were to be published on like in the New Yorker, she'd get like tens of thousands of dollars. It's like, man, I wish, right. I wish. And maybe that's the goal someday. But, you know, your guys' you know, support over there actually helps support writers and journalists like Maddie. You know what I mean? It's, it's like a great way. But also, I want to shout this out, too. Another great way to support Maddie and her efforts here. Um, so we talked about the victimhood mentality and, like, you know, everyone's just a victim and blah, blah, blah. Well, we have solutions for you, folks. There's solutions for you, how you can break out of whatever cycle you feel like you're in and, and get some more autonomy in your life at the very bottom of the article. It says, if everyone saves themselves, who will need salvation? And it's basically, here's some, here's some tools for you guys. And each one of these is a link to different. Uh, so obviously you have Richard Grove's autonomy course, which season nine is coming up here soon. Mm -hmm. um, if you click on this link, okay, you go through the obstacle course and you enroll in the class, that helps Maddie, right? Any of these, the Trivium class, Tony Myers' logic and Trivium courses right here. Clicking these links and then signing up for those courses, that helps support Maddie as well. You know what I'm saying? So uh, there are ways that you can uh, like, like support yourself and uh, Maddie's efforts here too. So I just really want to give a shout out to that at the very bottom of the article. Just click these links and just go check it out. Peruse around, see if there's something that'll work for you. Um, and so Maddie, you just graduated autonomy, right? Mm -hmm. Season eight. So we're both season mm -hmm. eight graduates, right? Yeah. So what, what was your, uh, what was your, some of your biggest takeaways from autonomy? Um, hmm, that's a great question. I, I really, it was really sort of entrenched in me, the idea that you are really the hedge. You are actually the hedge against all the bad things that you think are happening. They are happening and it's not going to stop. And you are literally the only person, that, <laughs> all of us acting together really. Um, but again, like I just said, you are the, you can only control yourself. So the only thing that you can do is to act as a hedge against that, which is to, like like Whitney Webb says, exit and build. And what you ought to do yeah. first is develop yourself, um, figure out how to operate in the world independently and autonomously, um, engage in intellectual self-defense, figure out who's lying to you, um, who's be, be able to point out bad arguments where they exist, um, and speak cogently so that people can understand you and um, you can make your own arguments against, you know, if you're talking to somebody on the street about why you're not wearing a mask or whatever, you should be able to communicate to them um, in a way that they can understand and, and um, you know, convincingly, or at least not convincingly, but, um, you know, emphatically and give them, give them a reason to, uh, to listen to you. Um, so uh, confidently, that's how I describe it. Um, so those kinds of people, those are going to be, uh, that's, that's our best hedge against the, the power dynamic that exists in the world today. And the best place to do, to start there, um, is Richard Grove's auto autonomy course. Um, also read, read, uh, lots of books. Um, <laughs> I would suggest starting with the story of philosophy by Will Durant. Nice. Um, or the evolution of civilizations by Carol Quigley are great places to start. Um, just to have a better understanding because these conversations had been have been had before and we don't always have to reinvent the wheel. Um, but again, the best thing that you can do 
is be the best person you can be. And if we all do that, man, we'll all be living the lives exactly that we want to freely um, and the best that we can and seeing our own uh, existence be exactly what it like to be, but it, the world would actually be a better place because everybody would be their their themselves fully. Um, yeah, if the if the whole world was a bunch of autonomy graduates, it'd be a perfect place, right? McCaskill <laughs> would say, right? No, I'm just kidding. We need no, to. Okay. If everybody if everybody pursues what they're what they would like, if everybody understands that everybody else is just like them, uh, if everybody operates by by way of principles that they arrive at, um, which and a very easy one to arrive at because you are a person um, is the principle of nonviolence because those things that you would not like done to yourself, uh, you'd probably, if you understand that other people are just like you with minds and, and sensations and bodies and property, um, you should not do those things to other people for the reason that you don't want them done to yourself. Um, that's, that's a great way to build a, a, a peaceful and cooperative society where people can trade freely and talk and trade ideas. Um, and that's just a great place to start. So I think that, um, I think that that's where you should start is developing, awesome. developing yourself and your mind. Perfect. Yes. Cause no one's coming to save us folks. Absolutely not. Well, shoot, nope. Maddie, uh, any, it, what's, what's next on your horizon? I feel like, uh, you should start a sub stack and you should start a podcast. What do you think? <laughs> um geez that's a big project I'm, i think you should I'm start building... it's not that much work dude but like i think a podcast yeah. you're perfectly suited for it yeah i'm building um i, I i've been thinking about that doing something philosophy yeah. related yes um it probably won't be in the near term future because i'm building cool. like a 1000 square foot greenhouse nice um, and i'm getting chickens and i'm trying to be as hey, food perfect. independent as possible um so Probably not very soon, but it definitely interests me. I'd love to talk about more about philosophy uh, awesome. and use my degree. I'm <laughs> certainly not going to use it to make fun, yeah. make money. So <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot. I just figured, you know, you know, you seem perfectly suited for it. So there you go. All yeah. right. Uh, let's see. Anything else? Uh, where, where can the folks find you? Where can the folks find and support you? Um, the last American. Uh, the last American Vagabond Substack.com. Uh, TLA Vagabond.substack.com is where all my work goes. And um, I'm on Twitter at LL Space Jelly LL. Um, you can see it there at the bottom of the screen. It looks cooler than it sounds. There you go. And it's, <laughs> yeah, I think it sounds pretty cool too. And it's in the episode description as well. Uh -huh. And also a big shout out to James Jordan over at Manufacturing uh, Reality. Yeah. James yeah, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Another yeah. autonomy grad. Exactly. But guys check guys. Yes. Check out manufacturingreality.org. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, big shout out to him and all the work he's doing over there too. So, all right. Great. Yeah. Well, Maddie, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, yeah. I really appreciate all the hard work that you've done. Um, it's just really cool and I can't wait to see what's next. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. My pleasure. Okay. All right. Take it easy guys. Remember <laughs> just crushing no fear 2023. Peace. Absolutely. <laughs>